Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Kurt Beecher Dammeyer. Kurt is a fourth generation Puget Sound native entrepreneur and leader on the Seattle food scene. Kurt has always felt passionately about authentic, full flavored foods free of artificial additives. Through his company, Sugar Mountain, Kurt is the owner and chef of a number of creative food brands and restaurants from the award-winning Beecher's Handmade Cheese to the Butcher's Table, a swanky steakhouse that features Mishima Reserve, his luxury Wagyu beef brand. With each operation, Kurt's goal is to demonstrate how quality ingredients make for delicious meals without added food colorings, flavor enhancers, or preservatives. Beyond the retail world, Kurt is affecting change in people's eating habits through the Beecher's Foundation founded in 2004. Through education and community engagement, the foundation inspires people to eat real food and vote with every food dollar. Welcome, Kurt. Well, it's great to be here. Great to listen to that. Jeez. I'm, I'm like, I wanted to hit pause on every sentence and go, wait, wait, wait. We, but I, I realized we are going to get to it. There's so much to cover. Um, but first, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Especially because we, yeah, we're, we're in turbo mode. So here we go. Um, what's your favorite kind of pasta? <sighs> mac and cheese. Oh my God. My kids would, yeah. Beecher's mac and cheese. Beecher's mac and cheese is insane. Absolutely. Um, What's your favorite uh, neighborhood in New York? You know, I have an apartment in New York. I know. That's why um, I'm asking. The, the flat iron or, or kind of nomad area right around Madison park. Yeah. I I lived in union square. So I agree that right in that area is awesome. Yeah. Are are you an, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Most definitely extrovert. And uh, do you prefer beach or mountains or maybe even city? God, I like, I like it all. And I also like all the food and I like all the cheeses. Um, I like all the cuts of beef. There's, I don't necessarily have favorites. I just like everything. They're like joie de vivre. Let's just like live it and take it all in. Um, I know, I don't know that I could answer. I think if I had to say probably beach, beach or mountains. Okay, if you could be a famous athlete, rock star, author, or actor, which one would you choose? Rock star. I had a feeling you were going to say that. I'm a I'm a super crappy guitarist. Yeah. And but I went through a period trying to learn how to play guitar when I was like 45, and you know, and I even like wrote a couple songs. And I just think being a rock star would be super cool. It would be so so cool. I completely. My husband plays the guitar. He has about like five or six of them hanging around the house. And for I, the most part, as a, as a rock star, you can be as anonymous as you'd like. Whereas as mm. an actor, you're stuck. If you become a famous actor, you're kind of stuck. Well, a but, rock star, not if you're the lead, not if you're like uh, the front man. Even, even so, I think Eric Clapton could walk down the street in Seattle oh, yes. and people wouldn't even notice him. Yes, I would like to be uh, Eric Clapton. That's a good call. Um, okay, since you are a chef extraordinaire, I'm super curious, who is a chef that you most admire? You know, uh, Tom Douglas. 
Tom Douglas is uh, locally for sure the one he pioneered the business back when back when chefs weren't even something you thought about. I mean, I'm I'm old enough. I, I just turned sixty two. Even though I was totally into cooking as a kid and in college, there there was never a thought. It wasn't possible really to imagine being a chef when I grew up. Right. And making money at it. And there was no, yeah. no model it, for you. It was not a reputable career. You know, there wasn't, you know, it was Julia Child yeah. and, um, and then cooks. And so yeah. if, I, if I told my parents that I was going to become a chef, they would have just gone on tilt. They would have, you know, not many worse careers I could have said, <laughs> but Tom Douglas did it. Yeah. And he's basically my same age. And so he yeah. did it and uh, and made it work and and made an industry in seattle yeah um, on, on the on the actual cooking side um i was enormously inspired by charlie trotter really maybe the first celebrity chef and he was out of chicago ah. and um i bought his cookbooks when i was just a little pup and i wasn't really a, a, a professional chef and i started cooking out of his cookbooks mm. which were really hard yeah i want to i'm gonna i'm gonna research this guy okay so give me three words that your team would use to describe you uh enthusiastic um i think they'd say uh funny and uh smart nice i hope I hope those are good, good ones thing. well we can interview them later so tell me about you started to talk about your parents and they would have thought that could have they would have been on tilt um what were what was the story with them where where did they raise you um i grew up in tacoma okay uh i'm fourth generation puget sounder on all four sides all oh my, my great grandparents lived in the puget sound area wow it's gotta be like a huge anomaly it's gotta be like a tenth of a percent of people who for have sure for sure for sure yeah and so you and, were raised in Tacoma and what did your parents do? What were they into? My dad owned a printing company. He was second generation. And then my first career of 18 years was in my family's printing company. Okay. And it grew large. We sold it. And then age like 38, I got to start a, a fresh career with a few uh, coins in my pocket and, and food was it i finally that was, got that was indulge. your passion yeah when i came out of college i had two job offers one was for my family's company to be in in sales and the other was a management trainee at the old spaghetti factory the offer was fourteen thousand dollars a year wow and my parent my family's company they offered me seventeen thousand dollars a year and three thousand dollars buys a lot of beer when you're a whole lot of beer. 22. did you have siblings that were in the business with you or it's just you um, they were later. I, uh -huh. I was in it from after I got right out of college and was uh, a big part of growing it from uh, like a million dollars in sales to like $90 million in sales when I Oh my goodness. Left. Oh, wow. They were psyched. They were like, we may thank you for not going to the spaghetti factory. <laughs> yeah. Right. Maybe spaghetti everything. factory would be everywhere. You never but, know. But, you changed everybody's you know, life. I do think though, if had I gone into the old spaghetti factory, that my life would have been maybe different, but almost I've circled back to being in the same place I probably would have ended up.
Yeah, it's so hard to know with these whole sliding doors stories and, yes. you know, family business can always turn south. Like it also could have gone the wrong direction. It's awesome that you had such a good experience. So who did you yeah. look up to? Was your dad kind of a mentor to you or did you have other mentors when you were younger? <sighs> yeah, you know, my dad was a mentor of sorts, but uh, he, he was an introvert. So he wasn't he wasn't really like me. Mm -hmm. um, uh and, 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 you know, we did not get along at all in, in high school. We, I was. Were you a rebel the, rock star? Yeah. 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 My, I was not the easiest son. Let's put it yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I, when I went to college, I went to, to Washington State University primarily because it was the farthest I could get away from my father. Mm. Uh, and, and did you know what you wanted to be when you went to college? No. Was it, was it like one of those things that like you're kind of programmed and developed to know that you would potentially go into the family business? You know, I knew that it was potentially available. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really necessarily think I was going to do that. I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't really think too much about what the future was going to hold. Um, yeah. You know, back in then, of course, that's way, way, way before the internet. So mm -hmm. you didn't have any way of understanding what the world was like, really, other than what you saw. Yeah. And when, when I was in college, it felt like there was only like four or five careers, you know, totally. lawyer, lawyer, doctor. doctor. Yeah, totally. You know, that, that was about it, right? And I, I, I interviewed, the, the jobs that I interviewed for in the placement office at WSU were, was only two. One was... The old spaghetti factory and I, I was interested in that because I'd been cooking for my fraternity so I'd been doing yeah you know industrial cooking and the other job that I interviewed for was the CIA oh geez uh, like oh, the God. central intelligence agency talk about I a was whole a, different path yeah I was an econ major and they they hire they hire hire economists yeah. wow and I actually got to I think the fourth interview with them um oh, my before gosh. before and this was this was in 1982 Wow. And, and the fourth interview, they finally said, uh, so have you ever smoked marijuana? <laughs> and you're like, game and over. I, said, yeah, I said, you know, I think that I've decided I don't want this job. Yeah, exactly. There's no way I'm going to tell the CIA. Of course. Yes, I've smoked. Well, like, especially why back do I then. want that? Yeah. yeah. You don't... Back, back then, that was like not a thing. That well, was it was a thing. My... It was a, yeah, that's so funny. And so you studied econ. Were you good and were you uh, like a good student and into it, or just kind of like getting through to get out of college? No, no, I, I, I was into my major classes. Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, I did really well in my in all the classes that I liked. Yeah. And so, how did being in the family business and being in the printing industry prepare you for your second act as a professional chef? Like, what were you doing during those eighteen years? Were you cooking all the time? And yeah. I was cooking all the time at home. I was the proverbial person who would have dinner parties and people go, wow, you ought to open a restaurant. Yeah. And that's, I that's, was my, that's not... so funny. That's my husband. It's just constant. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you, and I yeah. was just, and I was going on little weekend kind of cooking training classes and, you know, using Charlie Trotter's cookbooks, which are brutal and really teach you a lot of technique. I was just into it. And then, uh, I got out of my, we sold my family business. It was a good sale. And um, I, with some of the proceeds, I got into a couple of food businesses. One was Pyramid Breweries. I bought, I bought 20% of that and they had a few, few restaurants and was in the, in the craft beer industry. So I got a kind of a, a big training in artisan food products 
and how that worked there. Artisan brand marketing. Um, and then I also bought Pasta and Company. I love was, Pasta and Company. Yeah. So it had already been like, I think the, the original owners owned it for 18 years. Yeah. And, and I've now owned it for 22 years. Yeah. My mom literally, like if she comes for dinner, that's what she brings. <laughs> yeah. Huge and amounts of Pasta and Company. We're just psyched when she shows up. With so it. many people. And yeah. so many so many people uh, grew up on Pasta and Company. Uh, and so I bought it and uh, it was kind of, kind of not really going to be my thing, right? It was going to be something I was going to stop by every quarter and pick up a check. And um, the, the management team that I got in tried to open a whole bunch of stores. You know, I was somewhat complicit in this and it just went very badly. Too fast or just not enough money. All the stores that they opened had to get closed. It was just, it was just, uh, just awful. And Mm -hmm. so awful that I had to get in and take over and run it myself. Yeah. Um, And what what were the lessons learned there as far as just learning a whole new industry? Because printing and food, food's a hard industry. Well, that was the main lesson is that uh, food is a pennies business. And uh you can lose your reputation very quickly and it takes forever to gain a reputation, right? It's just, it's just every single day, your reputation is on the line. And if you want to build a reputation, build a brand, it takes a very long time. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I got deeply involved in that and it was, it was, the, it was the very worst business deal I've been in. And then yet the best. Well, now I'd, it's just, now it's great, right? And so tell yeah. me about Sugar Mountain. Where does the name come from? It's from a Neil Young song mm. called Sugar Mountain, which is uh, kind of a coming of age song. And there's a line in it, um, you can't be 20 on Sugar Mountain, which I took to mean that if you're having fun, you won't grow old. And Amen. I don't even know if that's what he mean, meant, but I took it to mean that. So I named it Sugar Mountain, which like is kind it. of ironic as we, quite quickly within four or five years our beachers foundation was just railing against sugar yeah that's so funny i did read a quote where you said that it took you four years to become an overnight success what, at, what beachers. Was, at peachers so what was the what was the turning point as far as sugar mountain like what was your very first step or the very first thing that you wanted to accomplish was setting the company up so i'd been thinking about starting a cheese company um, I kind of surveyed the market. I knew that, that Seattle would support its own artisan cheesemaker. And at the time, if you'd asked anybody, what's the local cheese, they would have said Tillamook, which wasn't, isn't particularly great. It's not bad, but it's not great cheese. And it's from like uh, Western Oregon. It's like, it's a long ways away. So to me, that said that there was a, an opening to become Seattle's cheese brand. And so I started doing some research went to WSU to ask them about it. And they said, oh, oh God, that's a really bad idea. You should not do that. Um, Come up with a, you're a smart guy, try again. But it wouldn't leave me. And um, so then one day I was shopping for a dinner party that I was cooking for Christmas. And I was walking through Pike Place Market, which I absolutely love, right? I think Pike Place Market is the coolest thing on earth. Yeah, I love it too. And uh, I was walking away back to the parking garage carrying all these bags and all of a sudden I see this sign on what was then the Seattle Garden Center which used to be owned by Mulbacks 
which said uh, for lease, and it was empty. And I, I sat there and go, oh my God, this is where, I set my bags down. I spent about a half hour just peering in the windows from all different directions. And on the way home, I called the number and basically leased the store. Um, that's the first thing I did before I even figured out if it was legal to make cheese there or is if it, it would the, work. the same location that you have now? Yeah. And so how do you learn how to become a cheesemaker? I mean, you go to Wazoo, but the actual making of the cheese, I actually saw on your website, I was like, open positions, there's an opening for a cheesemaker. So I'm like, what are the problems? Do you want to, do you want to? get a new I, job and i would do the other job there was another one that i thought was cool like a helper like helping the customer i'd be good at that one the, the yeah. actual making of the cheese cheese making is a very tough job so how and, do you learn um, did you I mean you obviously have to learn what you're doing before you can do this right so i i thought in the beginning that i would be the cheesemaker <laughs> and so i went and took signed up for a three-day what they call the short course at wsu and uh at at noon on the first day, I walked up to the organizer and said, hey, this has been great. I've learned everything I need to know. And that's that I'm not going to be able to be the cheesemaker. Because cheesemaking isn't like cooking, right? Cooking, you can kind of learn on the fly. There certainly is a lot of chemistry. There's, more, there's more art to cooking, and this is more science, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's a way more chemistry to cheesemaking yeah. than there is to, uh, or precise chemistry. It's, it's more like baking. Like my husband hates baking and, and, and I like baking, but I like the, I'm calm through the precision of measuring. And he likes yeah. to just throw stuff into the dish and taste it as he goes. And the difference between making a stew and baking a cake, it's another, that same order of magnitude to making cheese. Yeah. And, 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 and getting the same outcome all the time right so how did you Anybody get it how did you cheese. figure it out kurt like what well, did you I do hired a cheesemaker where do you find I, a cheesemaker just put an ad on I like call a recruiter oh seriously yes i called a dairy industry recruiter wow okay i didn't know that was a thing and so that's been just a tremendous success was that your game plan all along to just have the one store and be like bricks and mortar you know business to consumer or were you always planning on creating a brand that you'd sell into stores i you know, I, I'm always a person who kind of has a, a big dream out there that's not fully defined and then a very distinct next step, right? Um, my, in my company, the biggest source of business wisdom that we have is, is the movie, The Big Lebowski. And uh, so uh, one of our favorite sayings is that they use in there is that new information has come to light. <laughs> and that when, when new information comes to light, that's when you make your next decision about where you're going, right? And yeah. we're very much um, got a got a view on five or eight years out there, but the path to get there is driven by the new information coming to light, right? And so, so um, I had a you know I had kind of some dreams. I don't know exactly what they were then, uh, but they were big. But it, it, they're big as far as getting into these stores. But sometimes they say that's cracking into some of these big um you know like a met market a qfc like getting in there is hard so you obviously have to go hire a salesperson you were a salesperson yourself were you doing it or were you we were we were super lucky because we got tons of publicity and um won some awards right out of the shoot and uh so all those for the first five or eight years all the retailers were coming begging us for our stuff 
Yeah, which that's is awesome. a great way. That's a great. Be. That's a great place to be. Yeah, you can pick and yeah. choose which ones you're aligned with as far as your values and which ones feel authentic. Yeah. And yeah, that's awesome. And so, how soon in? Like, I know that you've had Butcher's Table, and I'm super sad you closed Bennett's. I was a huge Bennett's fan. I was there a lot. Um, that was like our big family outing all the time and girls night. Like it was just a great restaurant, but we had our company party at, in the private yep. room at butcher's table. I do remember that. I yeah. love butcher's table. I'm so curious how business has been for you over the past year with the pandemic. <laughs> Not very good. Like, what do you do? Like talk about, talk about a new awesome. set of, talk about a new set of information. Yeah. So, I mean, last year pre-pandemic it did about eight million dollars in sales and this year i'll do like seven hundred thousand. yeah that's a combination of being open with limited capacity and then closed for a while where they're just doing uh pickup and delivery mm -hmm. it's it's been hard and, it, and we've you know lost a lot of money that's uh, it's incredibly hard and what about the other businesses so you've got features is that your primary business uh, Beechers and then Mishima. Uh, so it's yeah. kind of a, roughly a third, a third, a third. Yeah. That Beechers, Mishima, and the restaurants and retail stores mm. are roughly a third, uh, roughly equal in size. And where do you find your energy wanting to go? Not, not out of need, but out of like passion. Do you like this whole like creating a new, innovating? Yeah. Like, you know, you've got this yeah. new beef, like, you know, or is I, it like the, the stores? No, I'm mostly about whatever's new. Yeah. If something's new or broken, I'm really focused on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and is there anything new on the horizon that we can expect to anticipate? Yeah. We're, we're getting ready to uh, start a third consumer brand called uh, Fraunhofer Fine Meat. And it's going to have, uh, it's going to be like pre-cooked smoked sausages that are oh. uh, half Wagyu beef, half pork and hot oh. dogs oh my gosh it'll be a uh, soft launch kind of in the may time frame yeah probably be later much later in the year and early in 2022 before it really gets rolling yeah and so as far as the pandemic goes and like owning a restaurant how do you even handle that as as far as a game plan do you just say hey it just is what it is and we'll just wait to hear from the governor as far as what we can do uh, yeah you know, well how, luckily how for for my restaurant and for me because I deeply love that restaurant I'm 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 enormously proud of it and I I love going to it I do too and uh so if it if it was an individual owner operator restaurant it would it would be dead luckily yeah. my other businesses have uh have done well enough that as the company as a whole has been able to, to continue to thrive. Uh, and um, we've been able to, to carry that one yeah. and keep all and keep the main people. It's so hard to a restaurant with that level of service mm -hmm. is hard to build. Really it, hard it, to build. It, it really took us probably two years before I felt like we were really at the service level that we wanted to be. Yeah. And, and I think it's going to come back so, so strong after the, everybody's been vaccinated and ready to go. It's just got such good vibes. Like that's the type of restaurant I want to be in right now. Me too. Um, so I, I love that you've pursued your passion. If, if it hadn't been food, what else are you passionate about? What else would you have maybe gone after? 
Uh, you know, what I, what I really started doing when I left my family company was doing startup investing. Mm. Are you, you know, still venture. doing that? Yeah. I and probably invested in about 90 or 100 companies, maybe 105 companies yeah. since, since the late 90s. And has that gone well? Have you, have you chosen well? Are you good at, at uh, analyzing opportunities? We do a lot of investing, am also. I, it's so hard to know. Am I good? Uh, I've been lucky. How's that? Um, I, well, I I'm think not, lucky, lucky not... people think they're lucky, right? Because you're because you you go toward opportunity and you your glass is half full and you're I I believe that you're not lucky. Well, one of the things that I've done is I haven't I haven't really been aggressive about it, right? It, it's like the best way to to be a seller is to not want to sell. The best way to be a buyer is not not trying hard to buy. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't go aggressively looking for deals. I mostly take a look at, at deals that come to me mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm uh, pretty easy for me to say no. Um, yeah. I have a little, I have a good little network and I've, I've probably had 10 of them that have done really well. That's great. Out of 90, you're like a venture capital numbers right there. Yeah, no, no, it's, <laughs> That's we great. have uh we're probably in the high, overall, it's probably in the high teens IRR. That's great. That's awesome. And so do, when you're looking at things um, as far as opportunities to invest, are you more uh, data-driven or gut or team? How do you assess I, things, like opportunities like that? I'm, at, at its core, I'm a marketing person. And so I I really think about the, the marketing of it, the not only the, the, their own brand image and marketing and who, how they say who they are, but where that fits in the marketplace kind of from like an economist kind of a view. Uh, and then on top of it, I just, it's people, right? Do I trust the people? Do I like the people? Do they seem like they have the right experience? Uh, and and, and of, those, of those, say 90 or 100 companies, I've probably been deeply involved in six or seven of them uh and uh i don't know that that necessarily predicts better success well you can just at least feel a little more in control so um so i love that there's this kind of theme running throughout your all of your business which is you know um around health and wellness and longevity well, I you were gonna say adult add adult well i've got Ad that too my, my team a, is like get her focused yeah, that's <laughs> well that huge, too that's linked right me. to the food yeah were you just thinking about something else right is in the middle of your no. thing <laughs> no just the idea that i I am involved in a lot of different things. Oh yeah, a little bit. The uh, you know. I I'm, thought you were going to weave that into food because I, I know that no. food can also impact ADD and anxiety. Like how you eat can actually have an impact on all that. Yeah, yes, that's true. I, I I don't eat any additives for a long, 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 long time. That's yeah, that's really what I'm. That's what I want to get to. Is like um, you know, being passionate about cooking and food doesn't always link to also being passionate about what you put in your mouth and how you feed your, your cells. Like, how did you, is that just who you've always been and who taught you that? No one taught me from, from an early um, time in my life. I figured out that things like MSG made dramatic effects on me. I mean, I've kind of famously told the story that there was this uh, 
there was this Chinese restaurant that I used to go to all the time near my office. And um, their hot and sour soup just felt so good and yummy. And I, I, one day I was sick. And so I went to get hot and sour soup. And then next day I was sicker. So I went to get it again. And mm-hmm. this happened four or five days in a row. And finally, the fifth day, I, I had like a tumor headache. It was just, it was, I was so awful. I could barely even open my eyes. And someone said to me, I don't even remember who it was. Do you think maybe you're reacting to MSG? Oh, wow. And I had, I had never even heard of the idea that there could be anything other than food in food. Mm. And so that was like the loose string on the sweater that I started pulling on and then figured out, oh my God, there's shit tons of stuff in food. Yeah. And, and, and it's a giant um, cowboy land that you have to try to understand yourself, especially this is back in the late 90s. That's amazing because I went on your website and I was expecting to just do a little research on the different businesses. And when I got down into the like, you know, section around health and how you guys look at it and, you know, what foods are toxic, you know, I knew about some of them. I knew about artificial colors and sweeteners and and hydrogenated oils. Um, But there's so much, so many different preservatives and the impact on disease and anxiety and all the different things. And I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I have that. <laughs> I mean, understanding um, glutamate toxicity, it's, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of endless. And so- um, It is a little bit endless and you can get super uh, obsessive about it. Right, um, are people afraid to host you at their house for dinner? <laughs> like, well, are you, are you for, one of those for, that's like, I won't eat this, I won't eat that? No, 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 not really. I mean, although now I'm gluten-free. Uh, uh, um, but that's a whole different story. People are afraid to invite me over to their house because I'm a chef and they don't want to cook. Yeah. Oh, and man. hardly anybody ever does it. And any, if anybody's listening to this and, and they know me, please invite me over. I won't we'll, judge we'll you. invite you over because my husband, you know, he loves to cook. We'll have you guys over. Yeah. Uh, so how did you meet Leslie? Where's Leslie in this whole picture? Is she wazoo? Is she printing? She went to wazoo. Frame? Yes, but I, she was, she's younger than I am. So ah. I didn't meet her there. I met her at the Rainier Brewery in the uh, Mountain Room, which is this old bar they used to have when it was actually still making Rainier beer. And uh, it was a big party room and there was a, an advertising industry function there and everyone had name tags and, you know, long story, I met her, met her at that. Oh, nice. Yeah, my husband and I also met quote unquote bar. So it does happen. <laughs> Young people. This wasn't who are a like, bar. It was an industry <laughs> function. Uh, ours was a Halloween party, but it was technically at a bar. So yeah, that's so funny. So also, I think the fact that you have kind of been so philanthropic and so um, intentional around giving back is, is impressive and it's unique. A lot of people not thinking like that. They're just thinking about profits. They're not thinking about impact and legacy. Um, so I was impressed when I read about the programs that you've done from Pure Foods, Kids Workshop. Um, and I'm just curious, how do you decide what's going to have the most impacts? I read that you're trying to educate fourth and fifth graders. Is there some science behind that? When I was in fourth and fifth grade is when they came to my grade school mm. and hit us with the anti-smoking campaign. Mm. And then I went home and, and just kind of beat the bejesus out of my parents for smoking. Mm. Right. So I, I recognize that that model could work for us. And that's really sim- simply stated. That's really still our model is that fourth and fifth graders are still uh, they're smart enough to learn. Um, they are innocent enough to to uh, to take in learning. 
right and they're and they're persuasive to 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 others because they're not yet teenage monsters right i also read about the 15-year lifespan differential within king county based on where you are and what, what kind of food you have access to how do you get those types of statistics and what is what is that i mean that's all to? that's all available through through government that, that but, how do, but what do you create. attribute that to it's just like how everybody knows that like lower income um households. well it isn't just food right i mean lower income households at the at the at the two ends have just enormously unequal access to everything right um information food health care mentoring it's just i mean we are i think that, that our food system is a big problem our biggest problem bar none by far is the increasing inequality of, of incomes and wealth. And at the end of the day, it's causing unhappiness in our country, I believe, but not just from poor people. Everyone is a happy. My, my, our country at the end of the day is a family. And um, my wife and I both, my wife, my wife actually, I wanna quote her with this. Her statement is that you're only as happy as your least happy kid. If we have unha deep unhappiness and and unequal access to to life needs in our country, it drags down the happiness of everyone. Whether you're one of those people or not, I completely agree. I'm so glad you're saying this. I've not heard it stated the way that you're saying it, and it's really hitting me. Like it's it's so true. And this year has been an extreme example of that. I think that most I mean, people feel that way. Go visit. Go visit India. It's it's emotionally impoverishing to go to visit India and see the ultimate conclusion of separating wealth and from the rest of the whole the whole body politic. It, it's it's crazy. I mean, there's just yeah. enormous enormous like desperate slums and incredible wealth. And and when you're there as an American and you see that and I haven't been, but my wife has. It, it it just it just tears at your soul. Yeah, and that's happening to, do, to us yeah. all here in the in the U.S. right now. It is happening right now. And so, what are your long term plans for Sugar Mountain as a whole, besides all the businesses and the the continued success, as far as um as impact and and the part that you can play in making change? You know, I mean, we're we're small. I mean, I don't have. I don't have uh, billions of dollars. Um, I just try to do my little part, try to be a, a drop in a coming waterfall. Um, mm -hmm. But if everybody be, had that be, mentality, it would be, I mean, imagine right. if everybody had that, let's just figure out what we can do with our profits, how we can give back. So, you, I mean, it starts with just being generous, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the saddest thing in the world is a rich person who isn't generous. Oh, it's, it's, it's like, what's the point of being, if having money, if, if you don't use it to create happiness for others, others. Yeah. yeah, I completely um, agree. Completely and, agree. And so many pe people get, people get somehow in this mindset that, uh, and the, and wealth can do this where, uh, everyone deserves what they get. Right. And the truth of the matter is that's very far from true. 
Well, they don't um, all start at the same place. Yeah. Right. And, and there's so much luck from starting from where you started from. I mean, I, I'm the huge, huge recipient in, of being a white male in our society. Um, my father, while not wealthy, owned his own business, was a mentor. I had th- three or four generations of entrepreneurial mentors in my right. family. A- access to education, uh, access to food and shelter, all of it. Access to a job, access yeah. to money. When we saw, just like it was, it was it, it, no, I'm not going to say it's too easy. And I did a lot of good things to get where I am, but the starting point was vastly different than all, very the most of America. Yeah. And um, I really appreciate you saying this. I couldn't agree more. And I appreciate that you understand your place. And um, I'm not saying you're being self-deprecating. Like, oh, I didn't do much. You clearly are an ass kicker and you've done so much incredible work. And the fact that you're choosing to give back and not kind of hoard it for yourself in some sort of weird delusion that that's what is going to make you happy. Like, it's clear that you know what makes you happy. But also, I want to say it's not just giving. It's also recognizing and, and this is the biggest divide in our country right now, really. At, at its core, the Republicans feel like everybody gets what they deserve. And the, the Democrats kind of feel like no one deserves what they get. Right? And, um, and somewhere in the, in the middle is the truth. And we just got to get back to that middle. We have We've got to get we back to being to. a society where people who have means feel an, a, 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 an obligation to, uh, to help, to, to bring others along with them. And that people who don't have means don't feel a powerlessness that makes them trapped and turns them toward uh, behaviors that aren't necessarily good for them. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. I hope that we can get there. I mean, we have to just We used stay, to be there. We, yeah, I, I agree. The, I agree. The, the, you know, the whole, the whole make America great again thing, of course, it, it, lots of, in lots of ways refers to how America was in the 50s. The, mm-hmm. the only thing that I look back on the 50s on as something we ought to be emulating is this feeling by corporations and people that they're responsible for all stakeholders in the, yeah. in the chain. Yeah. And, and that, um, that was the days of, of corporate CEOs caring about some sort of corporate about responsibility. Moving, yeah, yeah. Moving their people up in their income. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I it's, couldn't it's, agree more. That, that's where we have to go to. This could be like a whole other podcast. There's so much to talk to on it. I've got two more questions for you because I know you got to jump. But my last two questions are one, do you feel like successful right now? Would you say like, I, is there a, are you one of those people who's like, I can't ever feel successful. It's just how I am. I got to go to that like next, next, next. And if so, it doesn't sound like money's the driver. It sounds like it's like the passion of success. The short answer is uh, yes, I feel successful, but that doesn't mean anything in terms of stopping. Yeah. Um, I, I, but you've had a moment to stop and smell the roses and feel gratitude of where you've come to. Yeah, but that doesn't, then that's behind you. Yeah. Like, like on to the next. I'm, 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 a, I'm a big, um, what have I done for me lately kind of a person. Yeah. Right? 
And just yeah. because I've had success in the past doesn't make me there, there's well, all that really does in many ways is opens up more opportunity and more um more, more uh, impetus, yeah, more impetus to move forward. Yeah. And I tr I'm trying right now at age 62 to not do that at such speed that I just keep myself busy 60 hours a week. I'm trying right, to, right. I'm trying to well, so keep that a you little can, slower. Yeah. That totally makes sense to me. Um, okay. So my ultimate question, and then I will let you jump and go practice your okay. guitar and go play with your dog and all these fun things. Go make some cheese and beef. Um, what's your ultimate fuel? Like what fuels you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, curiosity. I like it. New curiosity is probably I've never asked, no one's ever asked me that question. I've never answered it, but I think it's, I'm curious. And, and, and the other thing that I'd say about me, a, a, a criticism of me is I almost never become expert at anything. I, I kind of, a criticism. I think that's great. Well, you I kind of always let peek other out, people. I always kind of peek out at that kind of advanced intermediate stage. Right. Um, you know, as a chef, I'm really an advanced, I'm not a great chef. I'm, I'm good at what I do, um, but I'm an advanced intermediate chef. I'm an advanced intermediate golfer. I'm an advanced intermediate bridge player. Is that other people's feedback or yours? I'm an internal scorecard person, but, yeah, I'm, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not underselling. I'm telling you truthfully, that's where I am. And it's, I'm not, I'm not trying to be humble that I'm not better than that. And, uh, and Sometimes I wish that I had the, the capability and the non-ADD to break through and actually become truly the expert in something. So I'll leave you with that. I have so much to say on that, but yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.